Welcome to The Wellness Connection with your hosts, Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Our program provides you with timely and relevant information on the state of your health and the topics surrounding it, such as natural remedies, green living, expert opinions, important facts, and more to contribute to your healthy lifestyle. Now, here are Peter McCarthy and Roddy Aglis. Welcome to the Wellness Connection. I'm your co-host, Robbie Aglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. We have an exciting and informative show for you today, including an interview with Dr. Carolyn Dean and other exciting things to share later on the show, like the Supplement of the Week, the Burning Question, this week's Drug-Induced Nutrient Depletion Report, and a Health Freedom Update with attorney and activist Rick Jaffe. So let's get right to it with the latest news. Radia, you have a report on a new application for an old kitchen standby, don't you? Yes, that's right, Peter. This is amazing um, because it's so simple. A daily dose of baking soda may help reduce the destructive inflammation of autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. Out of the Medical College of Georgia scientists report in the Journal of Immunology, they have some of the first evidence of how the cheap over-the-counter antacids can encourage our spleen to promote an anti-inflammatory environment that could be therapeutic in the face of inflammatory disease. The MCG scientists think drinking baking soda tells the spleen, which is part of the immune system, acts like a big blood filter, and is where some white blood cells like macrophages are stored to go easy on the immune response. In the spleen, as well as the blood and kidneys, they found after drinking water with baking soda for two weeks, the population of macrophages shifted from primarily those that promote inflammation, called M1, to those that reduce it, called M2. Macrophages, perhaps best known for their ability to consume garbage in the body, like debris from injured or dead cells, are early arrivers of a call for an immune response. The research was funded by the National Institute of Health. And what? Peter, isn't that just amazing? I mean, it's yeah. right there. We all use baking soda in one way or another, but who knew? Well, you know, there, there's been some pioneering research done overseas on the value of baking soda by Dr. Uh, Tulio Simoncini, if you remember, mm -hmm. but uh, nothing like this has ever shown up before in mainstream medicine. And so I think this is really exciting news. The one thing I'd like to see, and I hope that the, uh, the College of Medicine in Georgia will do this, is to provide some more uh, precise information as to how you can yeah, dose right, yourself, right, you know, because yeah. uh, as, as I think we have all found out at one time or another, it's very easy to take too much baking mm -hmm. soda. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think also we all know that uh, acidity or alkalinity uh, is a very important thing to health, and I think baking soda will shift that pH to a more alkaline system, which could have something to do with it. Hey, there but, you go. Peter, your report shows how repair the function of mitochondria can have profound effects on the chronically ill. Yeah, absolutely, Roddy. A condition such as diabetes, cancer, and some neurological disorders are suggested to be allowed to persist when natural healing cycles become blocked by cellular miscommunication, as published in Mitochondrion. According to the National Institutes of Health, chronic medical conditions cause more than half of all deaths around the globe. 
And University of California researchers propose that chronic disease is a consequence of natural healing cycles becoming blocked by disruptions at metabolic and cellular levels. Healing processes are dynamic circles starting with injury and ending, ending with recovery. And the molecular features of the process are universal. But emerging mounting evidence is showing that most chronic illnesses are caused by biological reaction to injury, not the initial injury or the agent of the injury. An illness occurs because the body is not able to complete the healing process. So in a small randomized clinical trial of 10 autistic boys, treatment with a single dose of ATP inhibiting adenosine triphosphate when abnormal ATP signaling was silenced, the treated subjects displayed dramatically improved communication and social behaviors being observed to make eye contact and cease repetitive motions. These benefits were transient and they did fade when, uh, and disappear as the drug exited their systems. And longer trials are to be held in 2019. Wow, I think that is so fascinating. And I, I'm not familiar with uh, this treatment of single doses of ATP. There's, we know a lot of things that can activate ATP. Uh, Decairoinositol is one, and certainly a lot of uh, uh, mitochondrial kinds of support would help. We also know, you know, as we get older, our mitochondria starts to wear out, the sort of Mother Nature's way of getting us off the planet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, Absolutely. So probably being able to affect that mitochondria would have a lot of significance in Ab reducing disease. Absolutely. And, and to uh, combat aging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, now we're thrilled to introduce our featured guests on today's Wellness Connection. Dr. Carolyn Dean has been in the forefront of health issues for almost 40 years and is a leading expert on magnesium. She's a medical doctor, naturopath, herbalist, acupuncturist, nutritionist, and inventor who has authored and co-authored over 35 books, including The Magnesium Miracle, IBS for Dummies, Hormone Balance, Death by Modern Medicine, and 110 Kindle books. Her magnesium outreach has won her an award from the Heart Rhythm Society in the UK for outstanding medical contribution to cardiac rhythm management. Yes, and she's passionate about helping people of all ages achieve optimal health by taking a holistic approach to wellness. And you can obtain a free chapter of her 2017 edition of The Magnesium Miracle at www.magmiracle.com. On her website, www.drcarolindean.com, you can find links to her free newsletter, weekly radio show, dietary supplement company, and two-year online wellness program. Dr. Carolyn, welcome to the Wellness Connection. And, and you are recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on the subject of magnesium. And you've, you've called magnesium a miracle nutrient. So tell the listeners why, number one, and I know it's been linked to a myriad of health benefits, but why is it so important? Yes, uh, when I first wrote the Magnesium Miracle book back in the late 90s, I had no idea. I had no idea that I was supremely magnesium deficient myself, but what I found through the years and um, 
through um, consultation and, you know, with my patients, etc., was that there are up to 65 different health conditions that can be related to magnesium deficiency. Magnesium is necessary for 700 to 800 different enzymatic processes in the body. You look at uh, vitamin C, for example, it takes care of eight enzyme processes. Magnesium, 700, 800. So do the math. (laughs) So we've got symptoms from head to foot that are being caused by magnesium deficiency, and yet most doctors just think of magnesium as a laxative. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, you know, you, you, you've gone into this as kind of a high-level overview of, of, but what exactly does it do in the body? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it, um, it, it, it's catalyzing most of the, the um, energy in the body. Well, I talked about the ATP, so that, that we know. And it um, the chemical reactions of body uh, they can be what synthesizing protein, stabilizing RNA and DNA, transmitting nerve signals, relaxing muscles. Um, when you look at the nerves and muscles, that's probably the first place to start because when you have tight muscles, what do you have? You have headaches, you have esophageal spasms causing heartburn, you have leg cramps, you know, the Charlie horses at night. If you don't get your nerves uh, functioning um, properly and rhythmically, then you can get cell signaling that means the nerves are firing erratically. What happens, there's a balance between calcium and magnesium. Calcium contracts, magnesium relaxes, but it goes even deeper. On the cellular level, magnesium opens up the cells, allows uh, calcium into the cells to cause the, the muscle firing or the nerve firing, and then magnesium pulls calcium out. If there's not enough magnesium to pull the calcium back out, it keeps firing and you get cell death. You get the, the twitching and irritation and numbness and spasming and, and symptoms that people just think, oh, he's nervous. But then when they're extreme, you start getting diagnosis of a potential MS or um, the essential tremor that some people have. These are serious conditions. And when you look at the muscles, the heart is a big muscle. So if it goes into spasm, you've got angina or even a heart attack that can be caused simply because we don't have enough magnesium. How do you, uh, or do you recommend recommend somebody be tested for their uh, mm. magnesium, and how, how do you recommend that they do that? Right, yeah, that's a good question, and comes up all the time, because uh, when I say something like atrial fibrillation or angina can be magnesium deficient, then these people are usually on half a dozen drugs, and, and they're actually afraid to go on magnesium because it might interfere with their six drugs, but yeah, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> red blood cell magnesium is a better um better uh, test than serum magnesium. Serum magnesium is the one that the doctors use, the hospitals use, and there's only 1% of the total body magnesium in the serum. So it's always going to look good. The blood test uh, value is always going to look good because it has to be 
um, at a, enough of a magnesium level to keep the heart working, to keep the electro, uh, electrolytes, the electromagnetic activity of the heart working. So the stair magnesium is a bust. It's just not going to help. Red blood cell magnesium, a little better, not even that so much better. I just tell people, if you can get the RBC magnesium, you can actually order blood tests online now with a doctor's prescription and just follow yourself improving your red blood cell. Because here's another problem with um, lab tests. 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium. When you get a blood test, it's your blood is compared to everybody else who gets that blood test in that lab. And that's how they give you the average levels. And a couple of years ago, the average um, magnesium range was 4.2 uh, to 6.8. And now it's 3.8 to 6.5 because we're all getting more and more deficient. Mm -hmm. So a doctor will say to you, oh, you're, you're 3.5, you're normal, whereas you want to be above the 80% of people who are already low. You want to be up around six. So <laughs> yeah. we have a huge educational gap here with folks who are saying, well, you know, my doctor says my blood's normal. Now, on top of all that, Radia, the, the red blood cell magnesium test is not that good because there are no mitochondria in magnesium. I already mentioned that six of the eight steps of the the Krebs cycle in the mitochondria require magnesium. So if there's no mitochondria, there's not that much magnesium in the red blood cell. And the ionized magnesium test, which I would love to see, is only still used in research. So it's not really accessible to people. So I tell people, well, look at the symptoms of magnesium deficiency, from headaches to muscle spasms to twitching to leg cramps to any sort of ache or pain, nerves or muscles, and start taking some magnesium and see how you feel. Mm -hmm. mm, there you go. And, and you know, uh, Dr. Carolyn, you and we have had, a, uh, had some conversations on the subject uh, of magnesium before. And one of the fascinating mm -hmm. things that uh, you mentioned was that magnesium can, in its own way, act as a natural statin. Would you uh, share with the oh, audience gosh. about that? Yeah, that is, that is so huge. Now, first of all, if, if you read some of my material, blogs, etc., I don't believe in the cholesterol myth of causing heart disease. That's been disproven. And also studies that say that statins um, uh, help heart disease or, or help protect you against heart disease, that's not true either. What statins do is they will drop your cholesterol, but then they don't help save your life. <laughs> and it's probably because they have so many side effects. So you have to look at the fake news of uh, statin research because they just want to have something to treat. So they've made cholesterol the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And what, what's going on with magnesium, it's involved with the enzyme that either makes, well, that makes cholesterol. So you can turn that enzyme on or off. If the body needs more cholesterol, then magnesium turns it on. If the body doesn't need the cholesterol, magnesium turns it off. But if you don't have enough magnesium uh, swirling around in your body, it's just not going to work. You start taking magnesium, then uh, lo and behold, your cholesterol will go down. Now, what's crazy is that the drugs that are used for heart disease and 
you see more and more drugs being used. You see them being given earlier and earlier because doctors think, well, we have to prevent heart disease. Everybody's dying from heart disease. We have to give these drugs earlier. And if you look at, at the chronology of what happens when you give someone a diuretic for their blood pressure, the next month they're going to have less magnesium and their blood pressure is going to be worse. So the doctor will give them two more blood pressure drugs. Those drugs, some of them are fluoride drugs. Fluoride will block magnesium. A couple months later, they're going to have high cholesterol, high sugar, and their blood pressure is still going to be high. So they'll be put on a diabetic drug and a cholesterol drug. Now they've got about six drugs, and, and it's a downward spiral. They're not going to get out of it because all along the way, their cholesterol is being hammered, and they're starting to, to develop now AFib, leg cramps. They're not sleeping. They're, having, they're getting headaches. So it's a disaster. It is a complete disaster, uh, mod, so-called modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I shocked her. Peter, I shocked Radia. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's okay. <laughs> We're both here. Some people still think that we can get all we need from our food. Hmm. What, what do you think about you know, food sources of magnesium and are we getting enough and how much do you think that a person needs a day? Right. Well, the only places um, that are getting um, magnesium pet back in the soil are golf courses. Seriously. <laughs> I live in Maui. We have 18 golf courses. I live right in the middle of one. I look at the big barrels of what they spray. They're not spraying uh, too many chemicals anymore, but they're minerals. The biggest barrel is magnesium. Wow. Do the farmers put magnesium on their soil? No, they do not. Yeah. Even yeah. the organic farmers. So mm -hmm. I'll get young people who think that it's all about being a vegan, which I think is making so many people ill. Mm -hmm. So they're on their 40 ounces of green drink and their raw diet, and they're coming to me with heart palpitations and leg cramps. Mm -hmm. Now, wow. it's only it's only a couple of days of taking a good magnesium that'll turn that around because they're basically healthy. I mean, plant, plant therapies detoxify, but they don't build up your protein. So that's just a sidebar. Wow. So everybody needs to realize that a hundred years ago, we were getting about 500 milligrams of magnesium in the soil. Now it's being farmed to death and we're lucky to get 200 milligrams. Oh, to answer your question of how much, we need at mm -hmm. least 600 milligrams of elemental magnesium. And mm -hmm. what's out there, magnesium oxide, 4% of it is absorbed. So if you think you're taking 500 milligrams of magnesium oxide, you're getting, what, 20 milligrams of elemental magnesium, and you need 600. Besides Dr. the fact we that need, we need to go to break, and we, we're going to pick this up obviously <laughs> after uh, we we have a uh, a short break here, and we'll be back with more with Dr. Carolyn Dean after this message from our sponsor. You're listening to the Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Balance and good health. Two essential building blocks for a full and rich life. But sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost. And you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit WAAYB.com to learn more and use the code WellnessConnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. And welcome back to The Wellness Connection and our continuing interview with magnesium expert, Dr. Carolyn Bean. So, and uh, Dr. Carolyn, we, we, before we move on, I, I, we were still talking about dosage and kind of magnesium. And you're right, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctors, MDs, uh, are not aware of the various types of magnesium. Magnesium oxide, you see, you know, in milk of magnesia. But, you know, there's magnesium glycinate, citrate, aspartate, you know, malate. And so... When, when people are taking magnesium, now from your book, I understand that you recommend a fairly high dose, which I want to ask what your recommended dose is, but also uh, the right kind of magnesium and how, if you're taking a high dose, how can you avoid any kind of bowel uh, disruption? Right. Well, what's interesting is the early research on magnesium was with magnesium oxide, and I was railing against that before the break because it's only 4% absorbed, so the 96% has the laxative effect, and that's why doctors think it's a laxative. Mm -hmm. And what I recommend, I I listen dozen off in, in my first books, but now I basically say do Epsom salts baths to, to let, let your body know that you really need magnesium. And then there's magnesium citrate. And then the third one is one that I've been working with, which is a non-laxative um, stabilized ionic form of magnesium because that's what I've been able to use to be able to saturate. I had to take 1,200 milligrams of 
elemental magnesium. That just means in magnesium ion, 1,200 milligrams a day for about a, a year and a half before I got rid of, uh, well, before I became saturated and um, my heart palpitations and leg cramps were a thing of the past. So everybody is so different. And uh, when they talk about the non-laxative uh, magnesium glycinate or the chelated magnesiums, it, they may be only 20% absorbed. We, we really need to look at magnesiums that are 100% absorbed because when we can use magnesium therapeutically, I see people getting off their meds that they've been taking for magnesium deficient conditions and getting their lives back. We have people who've been on disability for decades, the last one was 30 years, and they're back at work because their body is healthier. Now, it is, it's a huge breakthrough, but it's never going to become, quote, popular because it's not something that's in, in mainstream. We are so focused on drug therapies and everything is geared toward drug therapies that, that people will just keep being kind of hijacked into the medical model. Sure. Well, you know, uh, and, and you know, we see a, a lot of people where in our respective workplaces, uh, respective pharmacies who uh, are magnesium deficient. And, you know, many of them, because they're health conscious, we serve a, a rather unique population in that regard, uh, really do look at uh, wanting to increase their magnesium deficient or their, their increase their magnesium levels because they know they're deficient. But, you know, one of the questions we get very frequently, and uh, I think it would be valuable to hear about this uh, for, uh, from you for our audience, is there any danger of getting too much magnesium? Uh, well, there are four contraindications, and um, it, it's very rare to have side effects with, with magnesium. The fail-safe is the laxative effect. Basically, if you get too much, you'll have the laxative effect. Uh, this business about uh, magnesium being dangerous for kidney uh, disease, too many people are being told not to take magnesium, whereas they need magnesium to heal their kidneys. And um, the prescription uh, against taking magnesium because of kidney disease was mainly because of IV magnesium being given to people and them having side effects. So the, the major uh, contraindications are heart block because the um, magnesium is going to slow, slow um, your blood pressure. Well, it's going to lower your blood pressure and it might slow your heart rate. So they tell people, um, for excessively slow heart rate, don't take magnesium. But those are people actually, Peter, that need an artificial pacemaker. So there's kidney failure, something called myasthenia gravis, where intravenous administration will, will give you more muscle relaxation, and bowel obstruction, because you want the bowels open for the laxative effect. And so these are conditions that where you're under a doctor's um, care anyway. So people can self-medicate with magnesium and to avoid the laxative effect with, uh, I especially say to take something like a magnesium citrate powder because you can put that powder in your drinking water and sip it through the day and not give yourself a, 
a big dosing of magnesium that the body wants to get rid of. So um, how can you tell if you're not getting enough? Other than the leg cramps and things like that, are there other signs? Well, I mean, that's where you're getting into all the, the symptoms of magnesium deficiency or the reasons why a person will have magnesium deficiency. I think, um, yeah, one of my blogs, Radia, is uh, gauging magnesium deficiency. And I have a hundred... Um, a hundred different ways that you can get yourself into a magnesium deficient uh, condition. So it's important for people to study about magnesium. I mean, we've got what acid reflux, asthma, blood clots, uh, bladder spasms, diabetes, fatigue, heart disease, hypertension, insomnia, kidney stones, migraines, must any musculoskeletal condition, all these things are magnesium deficient conditions. People just don't believe it until they start saturating with magnesium. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's, magnesium, as you mentioned before, is so depleted. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, and I'm not sure, I just don't think that uh, regular medical doctors are, are making the public aware enough about magnesium. No. We did not learn anything about nutrients in, in medical school. You could go to biochemistry classes. We did 200 hours up on the charts. There were all the cofactors for all the different biochemical processes in the body. And I was looking up there because I was already interested in nutrition. All the vitamins and minerals are in our biochemistry, but that never got translated into clinical. And it's just horrifying. When I'm when a person has fatigue, they need magnesium. They don't need to be treated for anxiety and, or depression. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, you know, one of the, 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 the major areas of interest, uh, we just got a couple of minutes before uh, we have to close, uh, but what about neurology? What about uh, brain health? Mm. What does magnesium do there? Oh, it's pretty huge, but people are afraid of uh, neurology. They think it's not something that, that we should interfere with. But any magnesium, even magnesium oxide, will cross the blood-brain barrier, and it will help uh, eliminate toxicity. It can help with Alzheimer's, senility, Parkinson's, heavy metal poisoning in the brain. It can help with so many things, and... Uh, Instead, for any sort of uh, nerve twitch, people are being given medications. Um, there is a University of Adelaide book out. It was written in 2011, and it's called Magnesium and the Central Nervous System, I think is the title. So what I tell people, look, if your doctor is trying to tell you that that um, your twitching and whatever whatever uh, migraine or nerve symptoms you have needs a drug, you you just print up this 300-page book and put it on their desk because they just aren't aware of the incredible research being done in magnesium and the brain. Mm. You know, I have one question we started to touch on, and I and I want to see if I can get an answer from you. If I yeah. Magnesium. What would you recommend is my daily dosage? Uh, uh, the RDA is like three to four hundred men and women. I recommend twice the RDA. 
for everybody. And then if you're on drugs and have a lot of magnesium burn, if you're taking medications with fluoride in them, anesthetics have fluoride, you need more. So Mm -hmm. it's double the RDA to start with. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Carolyn, we we know there's so much more you have to share, but that's all the time we have to for today. But wait, before go you go, okay, because <laughs> uh, you mentioned, you know, to go to your blog. Do yes. you have a site that uh, we can send people to to get more information? Good point. Uh, of course. Well, I think Peter mentioned it at the beginning, drcarolindean.com. And for the free chapter of my Magnesium Miracle book, go to magmiracle.com. Cool. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Carolyn Dean, for joining us on The Wellness Connection. And we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. All of us go through menopause or andropause at some point in our life. The changes in our body make us feel depressed, less confident, and lethargic. Research shows that levels of testosterone drop 50% between the ages of 20 and 40 for females and almost 1% every year for males over the age of 40. Alpha Male X and Alpha Female contain a powerful blend of nine synergistic ingredients designed to help support healthy hormone metabolism in men and women. Additionally, the select ingredients in this formula have been proven clinically effective in supporting sexual health and energy, promoting healthy cortisol levels, and providing dopamine support. When it comes to hormones, one supplement does not fit all. So be sure and visit alphatherapeutics.us and fill out the questionnaire to get the dosing instructions that are right for you. Use the code wellnessconnection for a 15% discount on your first order. Let's connect because together we make our lives better. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. that sound means it's time again for the supplement of the week. And what are we sharing with our audience today? Well, Peter, flu season is just around the corner, and I really want to talk about the importance of vitamin D. I wrote an article a while back called Dr. Cannell and the Curious Case of the Flu. Dr. John Cannell was a psychiatrist at the Atascadero State Hospital in California, In 2005, he was in charge of a maximum security facility for the criminally insane. Knowing that his patients got very little sun exposure, he prescribed high doses of vitamin D to all 32 of his patients. 
As the winter came, the hospital broke out with a terrible flu epidemic. Dr. Cannell noted that wards all around his got, got hit hard with the severe flu outbreak, but none of his 32 patients caught the flu, even after they mingled with infected inmates from other wards. Well, you know, that makes sense, Radia, because have you ever noticed that flu season is always in the winter? Yeah. And we know <laughs> that we get yeah. vitamin D from the sun. Well, researchers discovered that vitamin D stimulates your blood, white blood cells to make a substance called catholicidin, excuse me, that's a 25-cent word, mm -hmm. and studies report that it attacks a wide variety of pathogens, including fungi, viruses, bacteria, tuberculosis, and even cancer. So here's how it works, Peter. You know, T cells are a type of blood, white blood cell that circulate around our body, scanning for cellular abnormalities and infections. So when a T cell is exposed to a foreign pathogen, it extends a signaling device like an antenna known as a vitamin D receptor in which it searches for vitamin D. Well, that's right. And this means that the T cell must have vitamin D or activation of the cell will cease. And if the cells cannot, cannot find enough vitamin D in the blood, they won't even begin to mobilize. So that kind of begs the question, you know, how much is too much vitamin D? About 42% of the U.S. adults are deficient in vitamin D. And I, when I do blood work with my clients, they, every one of them are deficient. According to the uh, Journal of Nutrition Research, and the, the latest research is seeing that an acceptable range should be higher than we previously thought. Yeah, I always recommend including an OH25 vitamin D test when you get your regular blood work. So a 5,000 milligram vitamin D is a prudent dose for the winter, and that's my, my uh, opinion. But if your blood tests show a deficiency, you may need to take more till you build up, you know, to be in range. Yeah, and I agree with you about that 5,000 IU. That's routinely what I suggest to uh, uh, our customers. And, uh, you know, especially since we live here in Austin, AKA Aller Allergy Central. And while we're at it, according to recent findings, the benefits of vitamin D in terms of bone strength and cardiovascular health are greatly improved when they're combined with vitamin K, and specifically the K2 form. And vitamin D3 improves your bone health by helping you absorb calcium. Yes, and it's, it's K2 that directs calcium to your bone to prevent it from being deposited in the wrong areas. It acts like a rudder, and vitamin D is dependent on vitamin K, and vitamin D toxicity, although very rare with D3 form, is actually caused by a vitamin K2 deficiency. Yep, and one more thing, magnesium may help vitamin D by helping your body activate vitamin D into a form your body can use. Yeah, Peter, I like uh, the vitamin K2 with D3 by orthomolecular. That's what I, that's my go-to uh, recommendation. It has 5,000 IU of vitamin D and 45 microgram of uh, K, so K2. And it's the perfect combo for both immune and bone support. And now it's time for the burning question where we answer those important health questions that you, the listeners, send in to us. It's important to note that any diagnosis of disease can only be provided by your medical doctor or other licensed healthcare professional. None of the information we present is intended for the diagnosis or treatment of disease. 
And today's burning question was submitted by Chris from Los Angeles. And he was told that probiotics do not work because they get destroyed by stomach acid. And he wants to know if this is true. Well, this is a good question, Chris, but first let's explain to some of our listeners who may not be familiar with probiotics, what they are and why they're important. Our gastrointestinal tract harbors a highly diverse microbial population known as our microbiome, which plays a major role in nutrition, metabolism, protection against pathogens, and development of the immune system. It's estimated that at least a thousand different bacterial species cohabitate the human intestinal tract. Most of bacteria may sur must survive the low pH of the stomach, bile acids, and a myriad of digestive enzymes before finding a place to adhere along the mucosal lining. And while this is a legitimate concern, this can usually be overcome by easily, very easily by increasing the number of viable bacteria ingested. Even if 10 billion organisms are ingested and only 10% survive the upper GI, 1 billion organisms are still available to transiently colonize the, co the colon per day. But certain bacteria have the capability to survive gastric acid and others do not. That's right. According to UK food microbiologist Glenn Gibson, only highly resistant bacteria such as lactobacillus and bifidobacteria can survive stomach acid. And as an important note, lactobacillus is not a milk product. It's simply a type of bacteria for those people in the audience who are lactose intolerant. Other types of bacteria, including many probiotics, are likely to be destroyed by stomach acid. There's also a chance that you may be buying dead bacteria unless you shop very carefully. But lots of research in this area is being done to improve this dilemma. Several in vitro methods are being developed to test strain resistance to, to gastric juices, enzymes, and bile salts and the ability to colonize the human gut. I suggest probiotic products are best ingested away from meals when stomach acids, bile, and digestive enzymes are not at their peak. And Chris, while some feel that enteric-coated uh, capsules or tablets will overcome such problems, the increased processing time increases exposure to heat, air, and moisture, and cost nullifies most of these advantages. There are now new generation delivery systems that employ polymeric carbohydrates such as alginates and pectins. But these are not enteric coatings, they are complex formulations that actually turn on once they contact stomach acid. And that makes a big difference. You know, and Peter, my favorite uh, general probiotic is orthobiotic by orthomolecular. That's my go-to uh, just maintenance. Well, you, we got a Vulcan mind meld on that one, Radia, because <laughs> that's my favorite as well for anybody who's just getting on a good probiotic uh, protocol. Mm -hmm. And you can submit your own burning question by sending it to the wellness connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the wellness connection AHI at gmail.com. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. You're listening to the Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
balance, and good health. Two essential building blocks for a full and rich life, but sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit waayb.com to learn more and use the code wellnessconnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Welcome back to The Wellness Connection. It's time for our drug-induced nutrient depletion update. And Radia, what is our drug this week? Well, this week it's about antacids, otherwise known as histamine-2 receptor antagonists, or H2 blockers, and protein pump inhibitors, PPIs, which are commonly prescribed for treating heartburn, gastroesophageal reflux disease, aka GERD, and peptic ulcers. Some examples are Tums, Maalox, and H2 blockers, like omeprazone and Nexium. Yeah, these, uh, the nutrients these drugs deplete are vitamin D3, B12, folic acid, calcium, chromium, iron, zinc, and phosphorus, vitamin A, B1, and copper. Now, it's quite a list. And, you know, it's important, Peter, to note that PPIs and H2 blockers significantly increase the risk of vitamin B12 deficiency in elderly patients. Remember that B12 requires adequate gastric acid for absorption. The elderly population is already prone to deficiency in what's called intrinsic factor, which is necessary for B12 absorption. So this lack of stomach acid also decreases the absorption of folic acid, iron, and zinc. And H2 blockers such as Tagamet, Pepsid, and Zantac decrease acid secretion by blocking histamine. This also could make people two and a half times more susceptible to hip fracture. And of course, chromium deficiency equals things like glucose intolerance and diabetes, hypoglycemia, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, increased weight around the midriff, and elevated triglycerides. And of course, last but not least is the iron, and iron deficiency may cause brittle, ridged, or spoon-shaped nails, um, fatigue, constipation, pale skin and nail beds, anemia, and arrhythmias. So if you're prescribed or purchased these drugs, 
be sure to talk with your pharmacist or wellness consultant about replacing these key nutrients with quality nutraceuticals. And now it's time for our health freedom segment, and we are delighted to have with us today a very special guest and longtime friend and fellow health freedom advocate, attorney Rick Jaffe. Rick is a healthcare litigator, counselor, and crisis manage manager focusing on cutting edge medical legal issues. He represents practitioners, clinics, companies, and health-related organizations in complex healthcare regulatory matters throughout the United States, especially legal cases and investigation brought by federal and state government agencies. He has extensive experience in FDA matters, including clinical trials and new drug issues, Medicare and insurance fraud, professional licensure and criminal and civil scheduled drug prescribing problems, and bioidentical hormones. And he has extensive experience in the stem cell field, both in the criminal and civil sides, and also works on matters involving dietary supplements. Rick, welcome to the Wellness Connection. So Rick, one of the recent exciting developments in healthcare is the passage of federal right to try legislation. What is right to try legislation and what is the status today? Well, I guess the good news is the status today is that there is a federal right to try law uh, and there are right to try laws in 38 states as of now. And, uh, but the most important thing is the federal right to try. Um, that was passed, I think, the end of May or June. Well, essentially what it means is that um, if you have a terminal disease and um, there's some drug that's in clinical trials and has passed phase one, which is toxicity testing, uh, then theoretically you can get that drug even though the drug is not, uh, has not been approved by the FDA for interstate marketing. So if it's if it's if they toxicity studies are typically relatively small, 30 to 50 people, and you, they start with very small doses and they work up to what they think is the actual dose. And uh, as long as the toxic effects are not too severe, then the um, drug is allowed to produce uh, to go into a phase two study, which is a small clinical trial about efficacy. So what you have to understand is um, that the drugs that have passed phase one don't really have to demonstrate any uh, efficacy at all in order to get to phase two. So it's kind of, um, you know, so, but at least it opens up access to those kinds of drugs. Some drugs show efficacy even in phase one. And mm -hmm. then, um, so there are other drugs that have shown efficacy in phase two, but haven't gone into or haven't completed phase three studies, which are large scale clinical trials. And um, those kinds of drugs theoretically would also be available to people, even though they, they are not, or have not yet been uh, approved for interstate marketing by the FDA. So that's mm -hmm. essentially what right to try is. And it basically it gives terminally ill people the right to try drugs um, that, are, that are kind of in, in phase two and phase three clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, is it fair to say then that, you know, this is not something that is made widely available to the consumer. Uh, there are some uh, wickets that they have to pass through in, in order to be able to participate in these trials. Is that correct? 
Well, well, let me let's refine that. You don't have to be on a clinical trial. Right to access under right right to access. The whole point of right to access is you can get an experimental drug that's in clinical trials past phase one outside of a clinical trial. So you don't have to be in a clinical trial. You just have to have a terminal illness. And um, basically, the, 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 the biggest problem, here's the biggest problem. And this is why I think it's, it, it's good, but it's more hype than reality. Uh, the biggest problem is that um, drug companies aren't obligated to give their drugs outside of clinical trials. And, you know, my feeling is drug companies have a disincentive to participate in the right to try law. And there are a couple of reasons for that. So in the grand scheme of things, you know, I don't think it's going to have a major impact on opening up access to experimental drugs because you have to have a willing drug company doing it. And so far, and for, for a lot of reasons, the drug companies have not really embraced this, this concept yet. Mm. So what does, the le- what does the legislation not do? Well, what it doesn't do, let's start from the beginning, all right? Yeah, you have to understand, this is, a, this is the culmination of 40 years of thinking about access to drugs. So, you know, I think it might be helpful. Let me give your readers, the listeners, a, like a thumbnail sketch, like the highlights, you know, of, of access to drugs, all right? And so it's pretty simple. In the 70s, we had Laetrile. Right, a lot of states passed Laetrile rules to allow Laetrile, even though it was federally illegal. Right, mm-hmm. then what happened is in the late 70s, you had a court case where someone wanted to use Laetrile, uh, and it wasn't approved, and he went to court, and the district court said, you know, I mean, if you're terminally ill, you should be able to use it. Why not? Uh, but the uh, Supreme Court says no, because there's nothing in the FDA Act that has an exclusion for terminally ill patients. So the Supreme Court shot down the notion that, uh, um, that the FDA Act didn't apply to terminally ill people, and the Court of Appeals rejected a, a patient's constitutional right under privacy to, uh, to take any treatment of your choice. So that was in the late 70s. In the 80s, what happened was is uh, uh, it, with the AIDS ec- epidemic, the ACT UP people pressured Congress to allow uh, the buyers clubs to import personal uses of AIDS medications that weren't approved in America uh, to, to, uh, to allow them into the United States, which kind of happened. And that was uh, involving ACT UP. And I was peripherally involved in that since I represented a lot of healthcare practitioners and we had the same kinds of interest opening up access. Mm-hmm. So that was in the 80s. All right. In the 90s, uh, it gets interesting because that was basically the decade that Brzezinski went, uh, had all his troubles with the feds. We did four grand juries. And at some point, a federal judge uh, stopped him from treating all his patients um, unless he was, they were an FDA-approved clinical trial. So what I ended up doing is I organized some um, congressional hearings. And what I tried to do is propose legislation uh, remedying the Rutherford, that legal case problem I talked about before, create an exemption for terminally ill patients that they, as an exemption to the FDA Act, namely that, you know, if you're terminally ill, you can get any drug you want. It doesn't matter what the FDA Act says. 
So unfortunately, that went nowhere. And then five or seven years later, um, um, there was a Brzezinski patient, Thomas Navarro, who tried to get on the drug. And Dan Burton's committee uh, tried to have legislation basically allowing patients to use experimental drugs. That was the Thomas Navarro Act, but that went nowhere either. Also, so then in 2000, in the early 2000s, you had the Abigail Alliance case where uh, some young girl wanted to get some experimental treatment for squamous cell carcinoma that was showing very pro- a lot of promise, but it was still in early clinical trials and she couldn't get it. So they filed a lawsuit and ultimately um, the Court of Appeals held that there is no constitutional right to uh, medicine of your choice, even if it is in clinical trials. The Supreme Court refused to adjust it. So that was Abigail Alliance. And then what happened is, and then it's been, nothing's really happened up until five, seven years ago, when the Goldwater Institute out of uh, Arizona came up with this right to try notion. And then from 2013 until now, they went to the state legislatures of 38 states and pass state right to try. But of course, that really didn't mean anything because drug manufacturers have to ship in interstate commerce. So it's well and good that it, you know, Texas had a right to try in 2016, but a New Jersey company couldn't ship their medications into Texas, even if Texas had right to try because that's still interstate commerce. And, you know, the feds were involved and no drug company was going to risk violating federal law. So that's why... What we needed to have is is a federal legislation to make sure that the FDA couldn't stop or punish drug companies from uh, allowing access to the drugs outside of clinical trials and outside of the single patient protocols or compassionate use INDs, which is a program the FDA already had to allow access to uh, drugs outside of uh, uh, participation on a clinical trial. So that's the thumbnail wow. sketch of how we got here. That, well, that's, thank you for sharing all of that. I know that, that our listeners are going to be uh, very interested to hear all of that. And uh, Rick, we're almost out of time, but uh, we do thank you for joining us as always. And uh, we hope you'll be with us again soon on the Wellness Connection. All right. Take care, guys, and good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. And be sure to tune in next week. And of course, be sure to submit your burning question to thewellnessconnectionahi.com. That's thewellnessconnectionahi.com. The next one we answer may be yours. I'm your co-host, Roddy Iglesias. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. So long for now from the Wellness Connection brought to you by Wave and Alpha Therapeutics. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Wellness Connection with Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Be sure to join us for another episode next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.